This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back to Gotham TV Podcast, the home of the hit series Gotham. Uh, This is episode 42 of Gotham TV Podcast, where we will be looking at episode 17 of Gotham, entitled The Red Hood. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, John. And as always, I'm Derek, you're the host. Well, who would have thought that one of Alfred's friends could do something as heinous as as that? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Really, really bad. And to be honest, it explains exactly why um, Sean Pertwee, who plays Alfred in the show, um, said that he was really excited by um, this episode, um, that he loved it, he loved working on it, and I think I can see why now. Here's what he said about it in our interview. We wondered, um, are there any snippets from that second half of the season from episode 11 onwards that you are excited about for the audience to see and I suppose the American audience are getting to um, look at at the moment um, and any of those moments that you would like to share with um, our listeners? Yeah, no, I mean, there is one in particular which actually airs on on, on Monday here um, and it's episode mm-hmm. 17 uh, where basically one of, the, one, of, one of the elements of the story is that um, Alfred's past turns up on the doorstep in the rain in the form of um, uh, David O'Hara, who's one of the very extremely old friend of mine. I was at the RSC with him 20 years ago. Um, and his past turns up on the door and the plot unfolds. I can't say any more because it would ruin it, but it's, it's a, a, for me, it was, a, it, was a, it was an extremely different episode because you, you learn an awful lot about why uh, Alfred is the way that he is. And you learn about it slightly what you learn about his past and what he's capable of and what happened to him. So for me, that was a, a, a great experience in working with Dave and David. is a was a real uh, joy and, and it, was, it, it was a very different. It was a very different episode for 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 me as an actor. So that's what I'm very excited by. I haven't seen it yet. It's coming out on Monday. So episode 17 is is, a, is, a, is an important one. Yeah, yeah, really good. Really good to see a bit of backstory for um, for Alfred and see a bit more knowledge about what he was like in the past and see this character Reggie pop in. Um, we'll talk about it, obviously, in depth as we get into our uh, our episode review, but really good character played by David O'Hara here. He played Albert Runcorn in the final Harry Potter films, so, uh, so it was good to see him appear on here. Yeah, that was the Deathly Hollows part one where they changed through the polyjuice That's potion. Right. Yeah, That's right. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was really good to see him and it really worked well. Um and it really helped come through from the previous episode with the whole Wayne Enterprises right at the end after that dreadful act of sabotage of um, our poor Alfred. Yes. yes um, but how are you doing um, this week? Yeah, what a great week. Um, yeah, really, really good week. We've had uh, we've had a lot of Daredevil this week, which we've been covering on our other podcast, Defenders TV podcast. Uh, and also a ton of trailers came out this week for movies that we're really excited about. Obviously, a Star Wars trailer came out. Uh, this week, which we won't be talking about on here. Who can't get excited about Star Wars? That looked awesome. Mm-hmm. Star Destroyer crashed into a sand dune, mm-hmm. sand planet. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Loved it. Very cool. Very cool. We also got the Ant-Man trailer for Marvel, which, again, we'll, we'll discuss over on the Defenders TV podcast. But this week had the big reveal of the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice trailer. What did you think of that, John? Yeah, that looked pretty dark and moody, but I loved seeing Batman. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the whole sort of um, the Batman suit, the armored suit that it would appear he's going to take on or try and take on Superman with. I loved hearing um, Alfred uh, speak over about how people, through certain points of hopelessness, and um, that's when they get corrupted, that's when they turn bad or turn evil, or there is that possibility. Really playing on the Man of Steel um, film where Superman had to kill Zod, mm-hmm. um, in my view. Spoilers. Spoilers, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big spoilers. Um, but loved it, and also playing with the whole alien and religious element still, yeah. the you know the false god that's graffitied onto the, the statue of... Um, of Superman, and it does seem to be set significantly in the future. It seems as though Metropolis has been rebuilt following the attack by Zod. Um, there's also Batman, bulkier, looks a bit older. Ben Affleck's got the whole grey um, side strokes going on um, mm-hmm. across um, his hair. So yeah. very Nick this, Fury. yeah, very Nick, very <laughs> Doctor Strange, and um, very Batman Dark Knight Returns as well. Um, you know, so I was loving that kind of future setting, and I loved and can't wait to see this this face off between Batman versus Superman. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of notable exceptions from this, uh, or notable exclusions, I suppose, from this particular trailer. We got no Wonder Woman in here. We got no uh, no scene with her in it. We didn't hear Ken- Henry Cavill speak at all. Uh, his his character didn't speak at all in there, and we actually didn't hear Bruce Wayne's voice at all. Uh, I don't know whether Batman is going to be speaking in this in this particular voice for the entire film. His, uh, uh, when Ben Affleck speaks, he speaks through a voice modulator, which is uh, which gives it much more of a metallic kind of sound to his voice. But we don't hear him at all in this in this uh, particular trailer. All we did hear was Alfred, played by Jeremy Irons. Um, and what's the anagram of Jeremy Irons? Jeremy's Iron. For all you Simpsons fans out there. <laughs> Still a classic, classic line. Absolutely. And if you haven't heard our Sean Pertwee interview, we did also ask him about uh, his thoughts about Jeremy Irons in the role and what he would recommend for him. Yeah, I think we took him slightly by surprise with that one. Um, he obviously has great respect um, for, for Jeremy Irons as an actor mm-hmm. and obviously his body of work um, would speak for, for itself, definitely. So... Yeah, it was um, a great week with the Batman vs. Superman trailer. Um, and Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Batman Justice. Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice trailer. Still a mouthful. Mm-hmm. BVS, I think we might have to uh, shorten it down to. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, with this week's episode of Gotham, which I think we should move on to now. Yep. Um, just make sure if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. And any feedback you want to send in to us, send it to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. So this episode of Gotham, episode 17, The Red Hood, was written by Danny Cannon, one of the leaders of the show, uh, and also directed by Nathan Hope. Uh, Nathan Hope's done a lot of TV in the past, but he's generally quite known, quite well known as a cinematographer on a lot of uh, horror films, things like The Fog, the remake in 2005, a uh, film like The Mimic, and he also did one of the Hellraiser sequels, uh, Hellraiser Inferno as well. So he's kind of well known for his horror stance or his horror cinematography. Uh, quite an interesting person to bring on board for this uh, for this particular episode. John, do you want to give us your synopsis for this episode? 
A series of bank robberies take place across Gotham that has an unusual outcome, the distribution of wealth to the citizens, and a unique motif, a red hood worn by the gang leader, or should that be leaders? With Jim and Harvey investigating the robberies, an old friend of Alfred's, Reginald Payne, or Reggie to his friends, a former SAS Special Ops, shows up at Wayne Manor in the rain seeking shelter. Whilst there, Reggie educates Bruce in new, effective ways to fight that go against Alfred's teachings, and he brings Alfred closer to his military past and his disturbing memories that remain fresh in his nightmares. All the while, Reggie's true purpose is kept secret, as his covert operation against his hosts leads to perilous consequences for Alfred and a huge emotional realisation for Bruce as Reggie reports back to his employer. Finally, as Jim and Harvey seemingly take down the Red Hood gang, now infamous throughout Gotham, a young boy picks up the Red Hood to see if it fits, and to quite possibly carry on its legend. Yeah, fascinating. And another week, another connection to the Joker, really. We have uh, we started off this episode with our Joker watch theme uh, again, like we did last week when we had Jerome appearing in the episode The Blind Fortune Teller, uh, which was a big Joker connection. A lot of thought that he may be the Joker. Uh, this week, the episode Red, The Red Hood is taking from uh, a lot of the history of the Joker, which was originally a character called The Red Hood, who wore a, a domed helmet uh, that was coloured red, and essentially was a threat to Batman, was one of Batman's uh, first big foes in 1951, I think, was the... Yeah, and finally sort of cornered by Batman and Robin um, in a chemicals plant, Mm -hmm. in Ace Chemicals. Um, And obviously that was a huge part of um, Tim Burton's Batman film, the first one with um, Michael Keaton. So, you know, this is a very evocative of the Joker, and I think for me this episode of Gotham is quite literally for me one of the best right. so far yeah. i i loved its through lines from um the blind fortune teller mm. to me this felt like it could be a two-parter a bit like we saw with gerald crane and jonathan crane and the whole scarecrow right. backstory and, right. and origins and that's mainly because of the through line themes for the joker and who that may be yeah. and also the Wayne Enterprises element that we saw with with Bruce Wayne in The Blind Fortune Teller. And now we see a different side of that that story, which I thought was absolutely excellent. And I can understand why Sean Pertwee loved doing this this episode. It was actually really nice to have the spotlight shone back on Alfred and Bruce's relationship and to introduce a, a, a third person dynamic into that from from Alfred's past to me was just really good and really great and it really developed everything so neatly I thought yeah. so for me a great episode yeah yeah it was an excellent episode really really good and um, with that we'll kick on to our five case points for this episode uh, so as you know listeners if you've been listening on the last few episodes uh, what we're doing is covering our episodes with five individual points that we pick out that we think are interesting and in that way we should be covering everything about the episode and discussing all the little bits and pieces that we uh, we were interested in so John do you want to start off with your first case point yeah, I think um, for me, and this might not come as any surprise given what I've just said, mm-hmm. is I would say the whole premise of this episode, and by that I mean the Red Hood right. premise of right. it, I thought it was really nice to see how that was played out and how that follows through from um, Jerome in The Blind Fortune Teller. And 
I suppose to explain this, it is this notion that the Joker is said to have no backstory. There's no origin about him. Yeah. But at the same time, that means that every conceivable possible backstory that could be is still open to him. Yeah. And I think and I hope that the three um, the, the three fellas that actually put on the Red Hood, Lloyd, I think, was the first one, then mm-hmm. it passed to Destro, and then it passed to Reagan, that these three... Uh, bank robbers could be a really important concept of this whole show in relation to the relationship um, of the show with the Joker character. Mm. And I think that goes back to Jerome as well, in that all four of these could be the Joker, or none of them could be. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the really important point. Or it could be the little kid at the end who picks up the the Red Hood um, to put it on and does the sort of the finger gun uh, mm-hmm. point at at the police, or it could be him, or it could be none of them. Yeah, and I think this I is think three a, of them are ruled out now. Well, yeah, three, yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Obviously, yeah. Uh, but I think it really builds on that idea of Jerome from the Blind Fortune Teller, and I just think it's really neatly uh, played, and and I love that moving between. These, these different um, characters who take on the mantle of the Red Hood. Mm. I love the sort of similarities between the opening of the Dark Knight in the bank and um, this whole uh, through line of the bank robberies uh, with the Red Hood gang. Yeah. There's the similarities there. It's this notion that these people were throwing money up into the air, this wealth distribution, firstly to to cover their own um, escape in the first bank robbery, but it kind of became a bit of a motif as well. Yeah. And to me, this kind of linked in with this idea of where the Joker burns the pyramid of money in The Dark Knight, which mm. money is is not the driving force behind why they do it. I mean, in this case, it still is, but it's that evolution to those kind of ideas of the Joker being anarchic and chaotic and not valuing ordinary people or um, the majority of people hold more importance. Mm. So I I, I thought this was a really, really good um, episode and how it dealt with that was really, really, really good. I just liked it. I thought it was really cleverly done. And I hope that they continue these kind of storylines like Jerome, like um, the Red Hood gang, through to other ones, just occasionally peppering the the episodes with these notions of this may be the Joker. I, I think actually it's quite important. I know to begin with we were you know we've done the Joker watch um, and some of it maybe is a bit tongue in cheek because it's he's got large feet or, you know, yeah. all the clowns coming into the G C P D precinct in the last episode. But actually this is a really um subtle way of trying to say that all of these backstories could possibly lead to the creation of the Joker mm-hmm. or none of them could be and I really like that idea yeah yeah totally agree and it's one of my one of my points I don't think I, I could have gotten out of this episode without having a point about the Red Hood really um, but one of the things was that, that I'd seen a couple of months ago was Danny Cannon talking about the fact that they would bring in the Red Hood into the uh, into this series um, and the reason for it is to show the nature of masks and why people wear masks it is something that can drive power and it's something that can drive confidence for people if you cover your face um, you're taking on a, a different persona essentially yeah. and each of these characters essentially 
goes through that process of uh, the first person to put on the Red Hood mask is Lloyd and he essentially is it suddenly jumps to a leadership role within the gang. He suddenly becomes really confident, starts telling jokes, starts doing funny moments. The you know, this won't last as long as um, this will be as short as that night I met up with the cheerleader on uh, on prom night. You know, those kind of jokes, gags saying to everybody, don't worry, it's not your money that I'm taking. It's the bank's money that's covered by insurance. All of the stuff that generally this gang probably wouldn't do in the past. And a distinctive laugh went uh, through that bank as well from, from Lloyd, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting. So there's a there's a, a series of, of laughs that are coming through as well that sound very Joker-esque. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Destro as well, when he puts on the mask, he starts to try and do some jokes. He starts to try and climb up on a table um, to repeat the kind of... Uh, the power that the Red Hood mask had for had for Lloyd in the beginning. thought that was really interesting. And to find out later on that Dester was actually the leader of the gang, he was just you know usurped by Lloyd uh, because of the Red, Red Hood mask. He was the one that was leading the gang to attack these p- specific banks because he'd been turned down for loans by each of the banks. Uh, it looks like Lloyd was just trying to get his kicks, essentially, and the mask gave him that power, which I thought was a really interesting point from Danny Cannon, a great way to use... A piece of uh, a piece of Gotham history, I suppose, or Batman history, to uh, to develop the characters and develop an interesting interesting scene. Um, one other point I had in the Red Hood: the final uh, child, the the kid that picks up the Red Hood and puts it on. Uh, I don't know. I just had a, 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 a kind of a, an impression of uh, Heath Ledger about him. Something about the kind of uh, the kind of stringy hair and the the kind of I don't know a bit it was a bit gangly it was a bit a bit thin and wiry I suppose much different to Jerome who we saw last week who was much more like Jack Nicholson this kid looked a bit more like Heath Ledger uh, in my head when I was seeing it could be reading a bit too much into it but I'm wondering if they're playing with that idea again of having a different type of Joker in this week's episode. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that it, it all lends itself to that aspect of we're introducing the Joker, but are they really? It's that kind of that that fogginess around all these people that could potentially lead to become the Joker. Mm. And obviously, yeah, three of them aren't going to because they've been shot and killed. But it is that all these different ideas that they, they could have been at some point or they may never have been or may never will be. And I think that links to Jerome. There's lots of similarities to say that he could be the Joker, the hair, the, the laugh, the, the malevolence and the, the slight craziness. But at the same time, this kid that picks up the, the red hood that has built a life of its own in, in the media and throughout Gotham... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Harvey Bullock talks about people actually spending time in banks to possibly avail of the free money that yeah. might be uh, chucked up into the air to to help their escape or for this distribution of wealth. You know, yeah, the stringy hair. It's oh well, there's enough similarity, but will it ever materialize? It, it, it's really good. I, I think that is a really nice element that they've brought into this series. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And um, so that's kind of my first case point as well as about the Red Hood gang. Do you want to give us your second case point? I'm going to just move quickly to a really nice light point that I thought, because this is quite a full-on episode, actually. Um, But there's a nice light element that came in here, and I thought it was a really good 
dark humor um you know maybe it's a bit disturbing that i would be chuckling away to myself whilst watching the episode um but when harvey opens up the the fridge in the auto repair shop um i think it's clegg's auto mm-hmm. they they you know they've tracked down this red hood gang after the the first bank job and they've they've tracked them down to clegg's auto because they were casing um the whole joint and you know, they see the blood on the the bonnet of the the car mm-hmm. in in the garage, and then Harvey Bullock opens up the fridge, presumably for food, because there's a lot of food on his mind in, in this episode. Yeah. And inside then is Lloyd, who's been shot by his other gang members. Poor and, Lloyd. Yeah, by Destro, I think it was yeah. primarily, all sort of packaged away um, into the fridge, and Harvey just pulls a beer from. From the fridge, and here's what he says. Well, looks like I found our friend Floyd. What if I don't drink it, forensics? Well, wait, this was the guy with the hood. He's wearing the same coat. I wonder what he did to piss off the rest of his crew. Maybe they knew we'd catch up to him. Well, he was the leader, so it looks like we've seen the last of the Red Hood crew now. Yeah, I love I love the gag that it's essentially, if I don't take it, forensics team are going to take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's a really dark sense of humor that Beer springs to mind after he's seen the body and that Jim is the, again, slightly being righteous of, this is evidence. And he says, well... If I don't drink it, forensics will. Yep. Brilliant. Loved it. Um, and I, he comes and says as well, a, f- a few good lines, just on a, another slight side note of here, mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, he, he keeps mentioning about it looks like we've seen the last of the Red Hood gang. Mm-hmm. But he also makes the point, which I think is quite important, that when crooks become more popular than cops, that's anarchy. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, again, it links to the, the Joker element or possibly even anarchy, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Even though he could be too young in, in this um, time period of Gotham, yeah. but I, I thought the I thought Harvey came out with some really good lines that really kind of flagged some serious points for for this episode, yeah. but also had some great little bits of humor in here, which I really liked. And I think for me, um, opening up the beer. Um, after seeing Lloyd uh, sort of squeezed into this fridge was right. a really nice bit of dark humor. I think he also grabs a piece of cold pizza as well from the table. So he's, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's clearly got a lot of food in his mind. But an interesting point about anarchy, I know we've mentioned the character of anarchy in the past. He's a teenage boy that uh, that uh, tries to reign the city of Gotham by, uh, I suppose, by creating anarchy. Um, so Gotham themselves, the show, I suppose, the showrunners of, of, of Gotham, have actually burnt through a lot of Batman's major villains. Uh, the character of Anarchy could absolutely appear in the TV show Gotham. It just probably wouldn't be the same character that we see in the comic books. It may be someone else that that does something similar to the character. You know, we've got a whole season two to go. We've got another 22 episodes after the season finishes to go through. So I'm sure they're going to start pulling on those type of resources that are available to them as well. So then... Um Derek, what's your second point? Uh, there's a couple, actually, that I have to pick from, obviously. So, uh, But I want to talk about the other side of the episode. So there were two big points in the episode, which was obviously the Red Hood and Alfred and uh, and Bruce and, uh, and Reggie, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, as we go along. But there was the whole... There's a lot 
under Mooney's side of the story. There was like the shocking moment that I wanted to wanted to obviously pull out now, uh, much like uh, Fish pulls out her own eyeball. <laughs> um, I really liked her story. I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks that I've really been liking her story. I'm liking the fact that she's kind of becoming a bit of a, a, a bit of a, um, a civil rights activist for her for her crew. She's not willing to be um, molded into what the character of the Dalmacher wants her to do. Um, it should not be molded that way. She's choosing her own path, essentially. So she's being asked, there's two options here. Either we kill you and kill everyone in the basement, uh, or we take out both your eyes now. And she decides to take out her own eye in one of the most gruesome scenes so far in uh, in Gotham, I think. Uh, I think you'll find if, uh, if, if anybody puts a spoon towards their eyeball and takes it out and then crushes it on the floor, I'm going to be squirming on the couch. Yeah, that was a recoil moment, definitely, where it was oh my goodness, did that just happen? And then obviously to squish it underfoot. And I loved how the foot was reflected in in the eyeball as it comes down to sort of turn that um, eyeball to just essentially flat, um, flat goo. Yeah, I really like this whole situation that develops. I mean, firstly, we get to hear about the big bad um, at this facility, which Mm. is Dr. Dolmacher, who is away on a consultation in Gotham, we're told, by this office manager, um, played by Jeffrey Coombs, which um, he has an interesting history, really. Like, he's done a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, Um, he's well known for playing the character of Wei Yun, who was very central to to a lot of the Deep Space Nine episodes. I love Deep Space Nine, so I know this actor very, very well. Uh, He also played the the reanimator. He was the the main actor in Reanimator um, in 1985. So probably a lot of uh, a lot of fans of horror movies know him very well from that. Uh, I think it's quite interesting that he's the reanimator, and a lot of these uh, a lot of the patients here may need some reanimation soon. Uh, So I like his (laughs) I like his presence in this in this episode definitely. But I really like the um, the situation that both um, the office manager, Jeffrey Coombs, and then Fish Mooney find themselves in, where he starts off in a position of power mm. and thinks he can deal with Fish. And, and Fish really turns this around to the point where, you know, he reveals the big bad with um, Dr. Dolmacher, but also then says, I think we've gotten off on, on the wrong foot. Mm. Um, and, you know, let me show you to the the bathroom where you you know can have a nice warm steaming bath have some food and so on but then it turns again and i just find that um he's really really creepy when all this niceness that he's done where you kind of think that they're taking fish's demands seriously suddenly is turned on its head and you realize that they are still just going to go after her eyes and that's it. She's got no choice in the matter or so they think. Yeah. And then she takes the extreme option to get out of the situation by removing her own eye to, you know, the screams of no from um, from the office manager. And I just loved how that all turned on its head really, yeah. uh, really quickly. And I just loved how Jeffrey Coombs plays this middle management guy just really kind of... Um, obsequious and, and and sort of menacing. I thought it was really, really slimy and creepy how he did it. Yeah. You know, it, it's that kind of PA to Dr. Dolmecker and he's just really sort of a bit of nasty um, 
administrative work kind yeah. of thing. I, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was really good, and it was it was nice to start to see some of this puzzle of Fish's situation and um, get put together, which was great. Yeah, I do also like the fact that the the new clothes that they gave Fish are actually just the the scrubs that all the other uh, all the other inmates, I suppose you'd call it, uh, seem to be put into when they get their uh, their arms and legs removed. Um, yeah, but that was my that was my point on on uh, on fish. I just loved just like it is a, a shocking scene in amongst a really good episode. I'm gr- it's great that they've kept uh, kept fish to the forefront for this episode again. Um, but I'm going to jump ahead of you for my next point because it's so connected to what we were talking about. Yeah, with, yeah with, sure. If that's all jump right. away. Um, the fact that we have Doctor Dalmacher revealed in here. So Doctor Dalmacher is. I'm making the assumption here that that is the doll maker that we heard about right back in episode two with uh, with Patty and Doug, where they were stealing children from the streets of Gotham and sending them off to the doll maker. Uh, we finally get a kind of a resolution to that here. Um, the office manager, as, as you mentioned, John, as we're going to call it, um, he, he talks about the private experiments of the doll maker of Doctor Dollmaker, um, where he he's taking, um, I suppose he's taking body parts from uh, from people and selling them. And he's also doing some private experiments. Uh, this is something that I'm delighted at, that they've created a connection back to such an early episode, firstly. And secondly, given us something really interesting to focus on for the Dollmaker. I really want to see what this play, how this plays out in the next couple of episodes. Hopefully we'll see some, uh, some of these experiments. We'll see some, see some detail behind these experiments. Yeah, I want to see him come back from Gotham really quickly. And I'm intrigued what's the consultation you know, because how does it link with that episode mm. two? Um, what's the, 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 you know, this crazy cosmetic surgeon kind of thing? Um, what's he doing that requires his consultation back in Gotham? Is mm. it simply regular work in inverted commas, or is it um, more sinister reasons why he's going to consult with someone? Absolutely. Is it maybe the person who ultimately might be doing up a um, a joker maybe maybe would he fix the face of someone who's fallen into a vat of chemicals at some point possibly, possibly. who knows yeah. um like there's some really good little connections that you can think of but i'd love to know what this consultation is definitely yeah yep so since i've jumped ahead on that though i really did it really did enjoy the doll maker piece uh, so we'll see more of that hopefully in next week's episode uh, john do you want to give us your third point um my third point is the education of Bruce Wayne, um, <laughs> or should I say Bruce Wayne? Um, I love the um, I love this education of Bruce by Reggie Reggie Payne, mm-hmm. um, and I love where they're all. And this is one of my other points, actually, the whole kitchen chat. But we we see him being taught about the wine, and we get a nice reference to Batman sixty six there with. Um, Alfred saying, "Oh, that's a nice Burgundy from ni- of 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, a classic. It's a yeah. good year. Yeah. yeah, it's a good year. Like a really nice little touch and, and reference back to um, Adam West's Batman. Mm-hmm. Really good. Um, but I love then the sort of more fighting aspects of this were. Um, it's almost a bit sort of sadomasochist, really, where." Uh, Reggie is asking Bruce to just keep on hitting him, mm-hmm. and he's just there taking um, the punches that Bruce Wayne throws at him. But then he he comes back to say, you know, use your surrounding, use your 
um, your opponent's weaknesses or size or even his strengths to your advantage. You know, in this case, he tells him to aim low at um, his knees or ankles because hitting him in the face is not going to to knock him over. Um, And I love that. But then it just contrasts with Alfred's more formal approach, you know, where his is about discipline and skills. And that sort of conflict between the two is really good. But we do see Bruce take on board what Reggie says. He talks about them being effective methods and he seems to have taken on board what Reggie has said in those few moments. Um, Slightly to the chagrin of of, uh, Alfred, really, who's trying a more sort of maybe orthodox approach to to fighting and um, dealing with opponents. Yeah, yeah. It seems in my head it was almost as if if Alfred is teaching Bruce self-defense. He's teaching him some basic knowledge of how to uh, how to keep on your feet and how to do some, maybe even some some general training, uh, whereas what Reggie's teaching him is attack methods, um, very different styles. Uh, but it's opening the young Bruce's eyes to the fact that there are many different ways to learn how to fight and many different ways to learn um, how to defend yourself in in a real situation, essentially, which is something that Alfred probably isn't teaching him. He still wants to keep the young man safe, but he probably doesn't want to teach them the methods of how to break people's legs um, or take them out for good, uh, which is what Reggie seems to be going down the path of. But yeah, excellent scenes, excellent scenes. But then maybe if I can jump ahead to my fourth point. Um, yeah, we're kind of leapfrogging a bit. Yeah, this week, right? I, I think so. A bit of leapfrogging it, it is all good. But I think my fourth point is the scene in the kitchen, the kitchen chat between Reggie, Alfred and Bruce were. Mm. There's a kind of a bonding going on between um, these three. I, I love the expression on David Mazous's face as the young uh, Bruce Wayne, listening to all these war stories, it kind of took me back to um, being a kid and listening to sort of my dad and tales about my grandfather and so on. And um, it was just it, it really harked back to 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 that all these kind of stories. And I thought it was really nicely done. It was a it was a nice moment which had light moments in it. Yeah. Um, about the wine and the burgundy and so on. But it had some darker and more serious moments that really then helped you find out some more about Alfred. There's the whole uh, the desert story um, where we hear that two people captured, 12 people taken down before, unfortunately, one of the, the men captured, I think, was killed. But it's Alfred as the other guy in that. And, um, mm. you know, we hear this idea of um, the memories and the nightmares, almost this post-traumatic stress of, of being in war and, and the the nastiness of war and the violence of it that lingers in people's minds and, and, and memories and thoughts and, and emotional well-being and how... And Alfred has a really great uh, moment. Why are you hiding from having what you really are? Who you really are? You're a war dog, Alfred. You're a cold-blooded, lethal war dog. Is what you are. I found some fresh clothes for you, Reg. I folded them and I put them on your bed. Then I've taken the liberty of packing you a lunch for your travels tomorrow. It's been really nice to see you, Reggie. 
I see them at night when I'm alone. Their faces. Faces of those we killed. Do you? I don't have to look for them, Reg. They find me. A real powerful and um, serious moment which kind of ultimately leads to the end of this round the table kitchen and um, get together and chat. It, it kind of goes off on a on a more serious tone and I think you see Bruce realize that as well um, which I just thought was so well played between these three actors um, and I thought it was a, a great scene. I mean for me uh, I'm you know I'm gonna just put it out there that for my own personal choice this is the best scene of the episode and maybe even um the the season so far i just thought it was really revealing really um touching um and just really well played by these three great actors absolutely yeah yeah totally agree with you i think it's absolutely beautiful and the fact that it closes out with that great moment with reggie where he's essentially calling uh calling Alfred, a, a war dog. He's saying he'll never change, and he's essentially saying that this kid is is bad for him. That this kid is is um, is treating him like a servant. Um, and it, it's a, a very touching moment when Alfred says to him, "No, this kid has saved me. This kid has helped me. Uh, without meeting by meeting Bruce, I've become a better man. Let's keep the past in the past." Which I think is hugely interesting for the character of Alfred. It, you get to know him a bit more in this episode, and it, you're right, it is a, it is fascinating. We will hopefully see Alfred start to open up a little bit more with Bruce because I'm sure there are experiences that he's gone through which will help in the development of Bruce as a character. I just think of the scene in uh, in the Dark Knight where Alfred speaks to speaks to Bruce Wayne and tells him about um, the the character that they were chasing down who is uh, who just wants to watch the world burn, which helps Bruce deal with the Joker in that in that film. Uh, yeah, that's the jewel uh, thief in Burma, that's isn't right. it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping that we'll get to see that side of Alfred a little bit, where he starts to open up to the young Bruce. But just hearing that he's trying to keep make himself a better man just because of his time with Bruce, I thought was a beautiful scene and a really well played. Uh, played moment and again as you say one of the best scenes so far in the series and I think it leads into ultimately what happens uh, between um, Reggie and Alfred later on uh, and and, uh, that consequence of that it really leads into to to that especially I think for the young Bruce Wayne because of this this kind of bonding moment with Alfred, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's enjoying, you know, he seems to be enjoying the tales and the stories that are being told around the table from these two former soldiers. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's relaxed and you don't see the young Bruce Wayne with a smile on his face too often. And yeah. it was nice to see that, I think. Yeah. I wonder, is there an implication, though, at the end when uh, when he's hearing Reggie call Alfred a war dog? Is there an implication here that that Bruce didn't really ever think of Alfred as anything other than his servant or other than his butler? That's why he's been ordering him around as much as he has. Uh, While Alfred doesn't seem to mind that, uh, I wonder if it will change the relationship a little bit between the two characters. Um, Certainly what happens at the end of the episode will change the relationship between the two of them. He's now lost his only father figure, uh, who's now been sent to the hospital by Reggie. And I think I'm going to leapfrog again there to sort of my final point, and that is definitely... um, the stabbing of Alfred in the drawing room by Professor Plum. I mean, by um, by Reggie. Uh-huh. Um, it, it did seem Cluedo-y, um, the setting, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean that in a bad way. I, Surely it would have been Colonel Mustard, though. It must have been Colonel Mustard <laughs> with the candlestick. Uh-huh. 
It's a knife. <laughs> There's a knife included. <laughs> there is. There it's been is. Quite a lot of times. Um, well, the, there's the rope as well, isn't there? But mm-hmm. but this this violence against Alfred from someone who he thinks to be his friend, I yeah. thought was huge. Um, completely unexpected. I mean, I did think literally he was going to just be stealing from them because you know you hear from Reggie that he's he's lost his wife, he's lost his house, yeah. and you know he's been picked up by the GCPD for sleeping rough. That this guy is a former alcoholic, so you really think that this guy is down on his on his luck, and so you can understand why he would maybe. Well, not necessarily understand, but you can empathise that he may steal a few of the um, silver pieces off the mantelpiece um, to sell and get some money for himself, even though that's not very nice considering they've just taken him in and fed him, cleaned him, you know, given a a comfy bed for a a couple of days. Um, But much like Selena Kyle coming into their home and taking some stuff for her, because it's a rich place that that can do without a couple of a couple of items of uh, of silver, you know. Uh, much like her reaction to staying in the place, that's all I thought this was was Reggie just taking some items from the house to support himself. Me too, but it has two big kind of watershed moments, I think. Um, certainly, how I see it, and you know, one is the realization from Bruce that he does actually have quite a significant emotional attachment to this father figure which is Alfred and he's seeing him bleed out again on the floor exactly like his parents Mm -hmm. Um, and he doesn't want to go through that again he said that in previous episodes and then the other element is the link then um, because of the motives of Reggie um, to those darker elements within Wayne Enterprises and that through line of the story from Bruce Wayne uh, attending the board in the the last episode, the Blind Fortune Teller. Yeah. So this is a really kind of crucial and important moment within not only this story, but I, I think the season. Alfred is a great character, and so to have one of those characters um, come to physical harm and the stabbing, just that in itself is a huge shock value, and wow, did that just happen? Yeah. But... It's also Bruce's response and the reason why it was done um, and that link to essentially Bruce's company, mm-hmm. um, which I just thought was fascinating. Um, and to see then Alfred in hospital with the young Bruce Wayne over him uh, fighting for his life and to see then Reggie in the boardroom uh, of Wayne Enterprises, but seemingly not with Wayne Enterprises board, but with this other grouping headed by uh, Martha Mathis. Yeah. And I love just how she's so kind of fairly um, cold to say, you know, you've done your job for us that we um, asked of you, which was to find intel on uh, the young Bruce Wayne because of his accusations at the the boardroom in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And now we're done. Um, And to see that... uh, that really sort of um, purposeful and deliberate act of essentially spying on the owner of the company, I mm-hmm. thought was really, really good. I, I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing what happens there. And certainly given the fact that we do know that um, Chris Chalk is um, going to be cast as Lucius Fox, this adds another dynamic to 
uh, the Wayne uh, Enterprises now, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We spoke last week on, on last week's episode about uh, about Martha Mathis not being a member of the board and the fact we didn't see her in the episode last week. It's kind of the opposite comment on this this week, which is, isn't it interesting that she's in the episode? I don't think any members of the board that were there last week were in the episode, so it's interesting. Again, the board may not be to blame for this whole situation. Uh, it may be that she spied on it and she's trying to cover her track. She overheard that this was something, the accusations that she overheard the accusations that were coming from Bruce Wayne, and she's now investigating to cover her tracks. But again, there's no connection between uh, Martha Mathis and the board still, which I thought was quite an interesting uh, interesting idea. Um, but yeah, it's really, really good. Again, the fact that Bruce calls uh, Jim to come down to the hospital um, as his only other adult confidant, I suppose, um, finally starting to mend that relationship a little bit with Jim, Jim Gordon, um, which I thought was really important after the last couple of episodes. Um, yeah, really good, really, really good scenes and really, really good moments between uh, between Bruce, Alfred and Reggie. Definitely. Um, a really um, such a powerful scene to see him getting stabbed uh, and what implications that has sort of from a personal point of view between him and Bruce. Yeah. But for the wider implications in relation to Wayne Enterprises, really great storytelling, I think, for Definitely. me. Um, and something that really elevated uh, this episode, absolutely thought it was really uh, spot on yeah. for, for me. Yeah. So I think, Derek, what's your uh, fourth point? Yeah, I think I'm on my fourth, yeah. Um, well, I think I, I wanted to talk about the other one of the other aspects of the show that that, uh, that I thought was interesting. So it's uh, Butch Gilzine and, Os- and Oswald. Um, so last week we, we had uh, Victor Zaz arriving uh, to Oswald's with uh, Butch Gilzine in tow, a newly reformed Butch Gilzine, I'll call him. Um, and this week we have those two sidekicks, these two former fish sidekicks uh, working together. Um, I really don't know what's going on at the moment with with Butch Gilzine. He was uh, he's such a dedicated follower or a dedicated supporter of Fish Fish Mooney in the last time we saw him in the show, um, and now we see him you know cheersing to uh, to the fact that she's gotten what she deserved. Uh, we see him you know working out Oswald's problems and getting the getting the uh, getting all the alcohol for Oswald that's been blocked for him by Sal Maroney. Um, and we also see one big thing. We see a mark on his head, a kind of a, a, a V-shaped mark on his head where perhaps some surgery could have been done to this character by Victor's Zaz in order to turn him to the side of uh, Falcone and to the side of, uh, of Oswald here. Um, so I don't know what's going on, but it's a really interesting a really interesting twist for the character. Far better than having him dancing. Uh, like yeah, did definitely. Last week. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought... Um, there was a redemption to to Butch's character from that dance from from last week. Yeah, um, okay, definitely. it was fun. Everybody liked the scene. They thought it was funny. But I liked Drew Powell's character so much and the strength of the character for so long. It just seemed to take away a little bit for me. Last yeah, week. well, that that was exactly the same for me. And I thought there was a real um, return um, of, of Butch here um, to how. I kind of perceive him, and, and that's again, it's how I perceive and him and and his character. And, uh, it was nice to see that twist against um, Fish Mooney. Is it real? Is it not? And yeah, no, I saw the the mark on his head as well, and yeah. I wondered whether there was a a Horcrux maybe now contained um, within Butch. Um, <laughs> Is that just the the presence of David O'Hara in the episode that you had? Uh, exactly. Totally I, go into Harry I Potter. I was now. totally thinking, oh, he's from Harry Potter, <laughs> right. you know. And then I thought, 
maybe he's been touched by Lord Voldemort. <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> um, but I just, just a little touch from Drew Pell when he's asked the question about by by Oswald because he's still. It seems like Oswald's still testing him, um, and he asks the question, "Do you miss Fish Muni?" And his hand just shakes uh, while he's pouring his drink. His hand shakes, and he says, "She got what she deserved." Nice little touch from Drew Pell there, and a nice a nice moment. I'm really intrigued to see what happens. Um, little spoilery kind of. Uh, opinion I suppose I'm wondering if it is Butch Gilzean that takes out Fish Mooney um, she absolutely trusts this character um, before she leaves Gotham so if she ever makes her way back this season to, to Gotham I wonder is it Butch Gilzean that's going to take her out Oh, interesting. Yeah, that that would be um, a really nice little twist in their relationship, I reckon. Yeah. Um, you know, she comes back thinking she can trust him, and he sort of stabs her in in the back. A bit of a Julius Caesar um, and Brutus moment, uh, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Really. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good thought. Um, but we will see. Yeah. So with that, what's your fifth and final point? So my final point for the episode is just a little touch with uh, with Barbara Keane. Nice to see Barbara back in the episode. Nice to see Aaron Richards back in the episode. Um, we talked about her being on her spiral. Um, that she's been she's been kicked and punched and has nobody to turn to. And now for some reason she's trusting these two street kids, um, Selena Kyle and Ivy Pepper, who are living in her home, treating it like their like their girly pad essentially. While Barbara Keane is just drinking and drinking and drinking. Um, it's a really odd scene. It's really odd that she would trust these two kids and have them around, but she, again, doesn't seem to have anywhere to go to, anywhere to turn to. Uh, she seems like she's trying to be helpful to Selena Kyle by saying, you know, you're a beautiful young woman. Uh, there is much more power in that than anything else. And then Selena does what everybody else does to Barbara, gives her a kick and says, what's it done for you? Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a an awful moment for, for Barbara Keane. And if she hasn't sunk as far as she as she could possibly sink... This is this is the moment where even these two kids who she's giving a home to still don't respect her, still don't like her, and she can't turn to anybody else in the city. Uh, but one other tiny touch in that in that scene um, when she brings out all of her clothes, I, I like the little gag with Ivy Pepper where she picks yeah, out the one yeah. green top which has which has leaves embroidered on it and puts it on and is really happy with herself. But it is really a scene about Selena and and Barbara Keane here and Selena not respecting Barbara at all she clearly sees the alcoholism that's coming into Barbara's life she clearly sees this is not a woman that is trying to be friends with me and not a woman I should respect and follow her guidance uh, but she's given her some of the things that potentially the Selena Kyle of, that we know as an adult and the Ivy Pepper that we know as an adult who use their sexuality to get uh, whatever they want this is the first piece of guidance we've heard from any character in Gotham about using your body and using your looks to get what you want so potentially they do take that from Barbara Keane, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I liked the scene, I have to say, and I thought that whole element, which was almost like Barbara educating these two younger girls to say that, you know, you can make a difference by your looks, not just your brains, mm -hmm. you know, remember that. Because these, these two girls are also smart cookies, I, Ivy and um, Kat. They're, they're smart, they're, they're street smart, so it was also to say you know, use your looks as well. Um, and there's a great little scene when she's saying this to um, Kat, uh, to Selena Kyle, uh, and she's behind her in the mirror. And the camera, the edit just flicks to uh, Ivy Pepper, who almost like 
cocks her head and she's listening in on this conversation yeah. that is really happening just purely between Selena and and Barbara to an extent. Mm-hmm. And you can see it's like she's taking it on board as well because obviously we know that Poison Ivy is just as um, evocative with her body and her looks and her appearance and to get what she wants as much as um, Catwoman is. Yeah. So it's really interesting this. I think I really like the scene. My slight quibble um, or negative on this and is I would have liked, as you said, to see the spiralling down of Barbara mm. more. Okay. I mean, I think I spotted vodka and wine um, in this episode that yep. she was drinking. Um, I think it would have been good to have seen whiskey, schnapps, and brandy being added to that as well, and maybe some book fast, um, just to really show her sort of this collapse in her, which I didn't think they could do fully um, with having the two younger mm. girls in the apartment. And I would have preferred to have seen her drinking herself silly yeah. and really coming down deep and dark and maybe even that she challenges Jim or challenges Leslie you see her stalking him maybe, mm, maybe. from afar then yeah. um, to give her that desperate element to her um, I just kind of slightly felt that the scene just didn't fit with that thing of passing on the knowledge and being knocked down by then Selena mm. it didn't to me seem to fit that neatly with what we'd seen in The Blind Fortune Teller which was her walking in on Jim and Leslie Tompkins uh, embracing one another and sharing a kiss Mm. I would have liked to have seen her um, challenge Jim um, challenge Leslie stalk them um, descend into more alcohol, really see that spiralling destructive element come to her um, which I just don't feel that we saw it fully enough. Okay. Um, okay. But I still kind of like the scene. As I say, it's more just a quibble. Um, maybe I'm feeling that, again, Barbara's short-changed slightly mm. in the scene time. Not so much the scene, but just the length of time her character's got to put across all these emotions that you would be expecting. Um, I think maybe that's more my kind of slight quibble with it. But I do like the scene. Yeah, potentially, potentially, and I think one of the one of the elements that I liked about it is that it is Selena that sees uh, that sees Barbara Keane on the balcony drinking away. It seems like an early morning kind of scene. It seems to be early in the day. It's Selena that sees her do that, and then when she gets the advice from Barbara to say, um, "Use your looks. That'll be that'll be the right thing for you. You're a beautiful young woman." She takes it as a disingenuous piece of advice for her because she sees all that's happened to Barbara. She can see it because she's been in the house every time um, something bad has happened. She's seen their relationship break up. She's seen Jim leave his keys back. She sees that she has she has nobody to turn to and now she also sees that this woman who's you know in her late 20s, early 30s is hanging around with two street kids and allowing them to, to live in her house and, and completely overrun the house. Yeah. So Selena absolutely sees and I hope maybe the intention of the showrunners is for us as the audience to see Barbara through Selena's eyes to see that she has fallen so far. My feeling is that I don't know how much further they can keep pushing this Barbara Keane character before we have a twist, before she has she does something bad to herself or potentially, as you say, potentially to Leslie, uh, potentially to, to Jim. She may come back. Um, 
but she can't keep going this way. She can't keep getting hit and keep getting beaten and keep getting people in her life turning their back on her um, before something happens. Yeah, it's hugely destructive for her, definitely. Yeah. 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 Maybe even she'll go after uh, Rene Montoya again. You never know. You never know. We might get a, an appearance again of Rene Montoya. Well, I hope so. But that's another notable uh, absence is the MCU, I think. Yeah. Um, Again, we've gone a long way since episode 11 where the MCU haven't made an appearance. Um, so I wonder what the reasoning for that is. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see um, whether they they come through um, to save the day as they should do um, yeah. in the remaining episodes of um, of this season. Yeah. I think it's five, isn't it? Yeah. Just, just got five left. So hoping, hoping we're going to see some more of, uh, of Rene Montoya and Christmas Allen over the course of those episodes. But with that, I think that closes out our review of the episode. Any other points from you, John? No, I think um, I, I've kind of covered most of them, really. I liked um, I liked this episode an awful, awful lot. And for me, I think it is up there with the best in, in the season so far. I loved Reggie Payne's character and, and the dynamism and the 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 stabbing and all that that he brought to that dynamic between Alfred and Bruce I love the Red Hood and how they dealt with that gang and the passing on of that I thought there was some nice dark humor here and we started to see the um and we started to see the explanation of Fisher's situation as well more and linking into previous um, episodes as far back as episode two of this show. So for me, this was a great little um, contained episode which also had the feelers out to the past and very much to future developments yeah. um, in the remaining episodes. So this was great. Yeah, I would definitely give this four and a half red hoods out of five red hoods. Nice, so no squishy eyeballs then. Or no. four and a half squishy eyeballs out of um, five squishy eyeballs. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's a great episode. Really, really enjoyed it, I must say. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how this plays out for the rest of the season. A couple of the, a couple of the smaller elements in this episode are really good, so looking to see what happens with Butch and with Oswald. Looking to see what happens with Martha Mathis and that's this information that she's now gained from Reggie that Bruce was investigating but doesn't have anything concrete on them. Um, that's interesting. Does that mean Martha Mathis will now leave Bruce alone? Uh, or does it mean that she'll stop him before he gets the information that he wants? Well, I think Reggie makes the point that if you want to make your move on the young boy, it's to do it now whilst his um, his guardian, Alfred, mm -hmm. is in hospital. And he forgets about the call that he's made to Jim Gordon to, uh, to get Jim Gordon back on his side again. So Jim Gordon could now be the guardian for Bruce while waiting for Alfred to return. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting episode, really, really good. So uh, so really looking forward to more of this. And again, with only five episodes left in the season, uh, not that much longer to go. No, it will be an exciting finish, I think, to, to Gotham. Can't wait, really, really can't wait. So if you've got any thoughts on the this episode or on any of the previous episodes, please um, send them to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Um, you can also leave comments or thoughts uh, on our Facebook page, which is search Gotham TV Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. And, of course, you can listen to us at gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search for us on Stitcher, Player FM, or any other good podcast catcher to, to find us 
download us and to listen to us. So I think with that then, we have um, a bit of feedback to go on to. Points well made, I think. Yeah, yeah, we got a bit of feedback this week on Twitter um, from Cam Love Addict says, I love you. Uh, yeah, Mick says, I love you, Cat. Oh. oh, okay. All right, this is to do with last week's episode where it was retweeted by Cameron Monaghan, uh, the actor who played Jerome. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, we got hundreds of people. Uh, Loving but, us, yeah. or so we thought, and then... Getting really um, excited. Yeah. But, oh, well. I hit the vodka and the wine, I think, after, <laughs> after that as well. <laughs> we'll just call you Barbara from now on. Um, yeah, but uh, thanks very much to Cameron Monaghan, who, uh, who retweeted our, our last week's episode and got uh, got a ton of extra hits on the uh, on the episode last week. I hope if anybody stuck with us from uh, from last week's episode, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, and I hope you enjoyed this review of, uh, of this week's episode of Gotham. Yeah. Our next piece of feedback comes from Dylan Exner, one of our regular listeners. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, he says, hello, I think I know of a way that could keep fish on the show without Jada Pinkett Smith and without killing her. Obviously, you saw the Red Hood tonight, and if fish gets a hold of it, she could wear it to hide her face, especially since she just ripped out her eye. I won't say what else is going to happen, but it's interesting. Interesting thought there, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. so uh, possibly Jada Pinkett Smith could be wearing the Red Hood. It's a really uh, interesting idea, and Dylan got me thinking as well that maybe I kind of hinted that Dr. Dolmacher, you know, could be doing interesting cosmetic surgery on a certain person um, who um, fell into chemicals. Mm. Who knows? Maybe we'll have our first female Joker, or maybe even a Harley Quinn. Maybe, maybe. Um, you know, because in some of the some of the uh, animations and in the comic strips, Harley Quinn does have the the white face and the iconic uh, red lips and, and smile as mm. well. The, the same uh, facial features as Joker, that, that element of being very, very similar, or the female version of him. So that could be an interesting little twist as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I like, but, I like this idea of the Red Hood, though, but... One thing I would say is the Red Hood seems to instill confidence in its wearers to so turn them into leaders. If there's one thing Fishman who doesn't need, it's an extra boost of confidence to turn her into a leader. It's been shown she's a really good leader at the moment, uh, a really good, uh, as I said earlier on, a good activist for her troop of people that are behind her. So uh, can you imagine her with the Red Hood on top for how much even crazier or how much... Uh, how much more confidence it would be added on top of the current Fish Mooney if she had the Red Hood at hand as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, that's a really, really good thought. Thanks so much, Dylan. And actually, if other people have got views on how and where this Red Hood may get passed around, um, as Dylan's suggested, send us in um, some comments or thoughts at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com and we'll certainly like to um, expand on this theme. So thanks again, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. So we've got some more feedback as well from John de Gruyter. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, another awesome episode of Gotham and Gotham TV podcasts. Thank you, John. Um, he talks about the the Scarecrow um, two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Scarecrow was very creepy, he goes, and says, not the sort of Scarecrows I remember from Wurzel Gummidge, uh, which starred the late, great John Pertwee. Yeah. Um, Sean Pertwee's father um, and we remember him from Doctor Who but also uh, Wurzel Gummidge yes. yeah, I remember being brought up as a kid on these two um, programmes 
Doctor Who and Wesley Gummidge. And of course, Wesley Gummidge not only had John Pertwee, but also um, Aunt Sally as well, which was the, the, the female side of uh, this show. It was great. Yeah. Loved it. Um, yeah, just for any of our American listeners, you may not know what Wesley Gummidge was. It was a show essentially kind of like like the uh, the scarecrow from the wizard of oz it was about a a, uh, a scarecrow that sat in a field all day and was occasionally woken by local children to uh, to help them out in their adventures essentially so a very weird very obscure show particularly if you're not from the UK or Ireland, you won't will not recognise it. Uh, but the actress who played uh, Aunt Sally on the show as well um, went on to work with Benedict Cumberbatch on Sherlock. So we get to see her in every episode of uh, of Sherlock, serving tea to uh, to our the the hero Benedict Cumberbatch. So, she yeah. is the housemaid. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so thank you so much, John, for that feedback. Um, yep, Great it to was about, uh, about Russell Cummings. <laughs> yeah, it was really good to to reminisce, and of course, just to to think back over the Scarecrow episodes, which were really good in how they brought out um, Jonathan Crane's fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Yep. Thanks very much for all your feedback. Again, if you want to send us any feedback, send it to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. I think we'll leave it there for this week's episode, John. Yes, thank you so much for listening again, and we will um, see you again next time. Thank you. Maybe with one eye. Bye. Gotham TV Podcast. Do not cross Alan and Montoya.